I haven't done this for a while. A little nervous. So I want to look at Psalm 23, which is very well known, as I said, and I'm going to kind of integrate into that a few things that happened on my travels. Um, and the reason I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this psalm came out about because when I was going to England to see my children, um, about four days before I was leaving, I got this note from a friend of mine who I grew up with in Cape Town whose mother had just died that Tuesday. And he said, will you come to Cape Town and take a funeral? And I thought he was joking. And I said, are you joking? And he said, no, I'm not. I'm serious. I'll buy you a ticket. Uh, what, how do you want to fly? And, you know, I'll buy you a ticket to, Lund- to Cape Town and I'll rent you a car. So that's what happened. And I went there for 10 days. Um, and we had a small funeral for his mother who was over 80. And it was actually really cool to reconnect. But he is a, a, a fairly academic fellow. And uh, the first reading he gave me really puzzled me because it was this philosophical reading about meditating on God and being brave to meditate. And I thought, oh dear, how am I going to speak from this because I don't want to speak in in a kind of vague way about God. And the thing that really um, frustrated me in the the reading that actually in the end he couldn't remember sending me was um, the passivity of God that, you you know, you, you reflect on God and then you there's a lot of spirituality in our world where you reflect on God or God is whatever you want him to be. And God apparently is this guy who has nothing to do with anything. He doesn't speak. He doesn't uh, move. He doesn't, he doesn't do anything. And uh, there's a, a huge passion uh, in, in spiritual life in the world we live in to have a God who doesn't define himself because then you can sound quite holy because you say, I, I, I am, I'm very spiritual, I do these things, but the God who I worship, he doesn't actually say anything. In my opinion, that kind of God is just a creation of your own thinking. He's just a creation of whatever you want him to be. And then I looked at Psalm 23, and if, you know, Psalm 23 is often read at funerals. And uh, you read it, and it also can come across you know, very sweet. The Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing and he makes me lie down in green pastures. And he leads me beside quiet waters and he refreshes my soul. And he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake and even though I walk... Th- you know, you've, you've heard it, right? I'm teasing you a little bit. And the thing that we kind of miss is uh, that's what David wrote for a sheep that follows the shepherd with great obedience. And the thing about the psalm is that God is very active. The, 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 the shepherd is very active. The shepherd is very involved. And I think of David who wrote the psalm, and he, he was a you know, boy, you know the story, he was a shepherd boy himself. He was uh, very young when uh, Samuel came around to, to anoint the king of Israel, and all his brothers were taken out uh, and showed to Samuel, and, and he said, no, it's not him, it's not him, it's not him. And then eventually they kind of said, well, we have the runt of the family and he's out looking after sheep. It couldn't possibly be him. And they bring him in and it is, of course, David. And David had been a shepherd and he said, you know, I have, I, I have killed a lion and I've killed a bear. And then when uh, the, the people of Israel were, were trembling before Goliath, he said, uh, you know, how dare that uncircumcised Philistine speak like this to us? And he went out and said, I will trust my God and I will do it. And he's the one who then, I mean, a very strong man's man says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I need a shepherd. 
I'm not trustworthy without a shepherd. Because sheep wander all over the place. If you read anything on sheep or even horses, I believe, you know, horses can go into grass, er, grassy areas and start eating the wrong kind of grass and they get diseases. And the sheep can go, they don't know when to stop eating. And the Bible is full of references to sheep and how we are like sheep. We are like sheep have gone astray. And the shepherd is somebody who is very involved with his sheep. And the Christian message of God who is the good shepherd, the Christian message of God who ultimately is not only a good shepherd, he became a sheep, is a God who is hands-on with us. He's not interested in being admired. He's interested in being the shepherd of a sheep who need him, know him. And I'm going to go into a difficult area. I think sometimes we underestimate the world in which we live. And so I think sometimes we think that we're stronger than we are and we're, we're more able than we are and we're more and we're confident but we don't realize that in our confidence we're drifting into lostness. Um, so one of the areas, um, one of the things I did when I was away was I went to Poland for three days and I, I visited Auschwitz. I just want to show you some pictures. Um, and then we'll just reflect on that. But I'm going to, I, Stephen's very good at using this new technique, but I'm not so good, so I'm going to do it from the back here and just comment on it. I went to Auschwitz and Birkenau. They're two concentration camps about 40 minutes outside of Krakow. This is the entrance to Auschwitz. It says, work is freedom. And uh, this is what happened 70 years ago. And people who were in the towns next to Auschwitz didn't have a clue what was going on. Auschwitz was the largest Nazi German concentration camp and death camp. In the years 1940 to 45, the Nazis deported at least 1,300,000 people to Auschwitz. 1,100,000 were Jews, 140,000 to 150,000 were Poles, 23,000 gypsies, 15,000 Soviet prisoners, 25,000 prisoners from other ethnic groups. 1,100,000 of these people died in Auschwitz. And that's Auschwitz-Birkenau. And the thing is, people didn't believe it, even at the time. This is a, a first group of children, and uh, there's a woman with a child. They're walking down to the, 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 uh, the gas chamber. And they were told when they arrived that they were going to have a shower. And they were often tired and dirty and thirsty. And uh, they were told they were going to have showers, and then they were going to um, have something else happen. And so uh, these children were taken off into a... These, these kids would have been dead within a few hours. This was one of the most uh, disturbing pictures. Um, if you imagine the whole length of the stage in front of you um, with a pile of shoes from the roof, the, the, back, the back ceiling where the ceiling meets the wall down to the front of the... It was, there were two sides of a, of a, a bungalow the, size, the length of this church uh, with these shoes in them. And then even worse was one side was full of human hair. Uh, the scale of it is just, it's, it's, there's no words. Um, this was just, they had a wall full of uh, some of the people who 
had died. This woman is called, I don't know her first name, Sislawa Bernard. She was a Pole born in 1917. She was deported on the 7th of the 10th, 1942, and she died on the, the next month, 19th of d November. And there were a million of these people. Many of them were children. Many of them had experiments done because uh, Mendel, the uh, doctor who worked in Auschwitz, was trying to find a way to make women sterile so that in two generations the whole Jewish nation would be wiped out. This is uh, the one gas chamber in Auschwitz that is standing. Uh, they would go into this room. Uh, apparently, uh, they had to you know, strip naked and go into this room. And apparently, some of the times, the children would go in carrying their toys. And what they would see was, this is like a shower uh, portal in the ceiling. And then there were also these square holes in the ceiling and those were through, wi through which uh, the Nazi guys um, threw Zyklon B, I think, it's or A it's called. It's a highly toxic poison and it would basically vaporize and kill them within 20 minutes. And then they would be cremated in ovens and eventually it got into outside fires. I'm showing you this because it's where I went, but I'm also showing you because this is what it's like when sheep don't have a shepherd. This is the entrance to Birkenau, a very famous picture. You go through the trains went in here right at the end of the uh, of the line where the where the uh, gas chambers, and they had four of them here. This was a killing machine. This whole camp, thousands of people lived here. They came into the trains and then they would get off. They would get sorted. Those who were healthy could. Uh, go into housing but two-thirds of them would be straight to the gas chambers and somebody said but the, the, the Birkenau is huge there, there were thousands and thousands of, of people living there and they said well those are the remnant those are the ones that couldn't be killed straight away and they had plans to build another camp but as the um, allies came in uh, they s the Germans blew up the, this is a gas chamber. They would go in one end, take the clothes off and then go into the shower area. And then the, the Jews, the healthy Jews would have to come in and cut off their hair, take out their teeth and uh, then they would be burned. And they had, big, they had worked out a whole way of doing open air cremations to make it more efficient. And this is where those who lived, lived. There would probably be 700 in this, in this uh, one block and they would live in this kind of condition here. There were four to each, uh, each area. So there's almost a hundred in this picture. Tiny little areas uh, where they were housed. When Jesus talks about, um, he looks out over people and he, s he looked out of a crowd and he said they were broken hearted and they didn't have a shepherd. I mean, I, I was saying, Lord, how do people get to this place where you can um, you can actually process men, women and children and kill them. And it's happening all over the world. How you do it is you actually put people into a group and you objectify them and then you absolutely just say this is who they are. And you don't have any relationship or human face to them and so you actually say, uh, you know, the, the German problem with the Jews began before probably the First World War. And then the Germans were so be ruthlessly beaten down when the, when the first war was won 
that there was resentment that built up and then Hitler thought that the Jews were responsible for everything. But there was sickness in the whole thing that just grew and grew and grew. And I'm very humbled because I don't think this is just something that the Germans could have done. There were six million Jews killed. I went into the area where they, they, they had a, outside of Krakow, they had a, um, a Jewish ghetto where all the Jews had to live and then they were basically rounded up and sent off to Auschwitz. And there's a square that's a memorial to them. And you go, how can human beings do this to one another? And I think it's because of this. They don't have a shepherd. And when you don't have a shepherd, it's the, fit, the fittest to survive. And we are capable of awful things. The people who went to these concentration camps went there not believing even the rumors they had heard because they couldn't believe it could be so bad. And then when they were there, I, I asked the woman who was showing us around, said, so what was it like living in these, these cabins? And she said, well, it depends who was there because sometimes you had a good group and sometimes you had a bad group because human beings tend to want to rule each other. And there were Jews who betrayed Jews and there were Jews who actually uh, wanted to stay alive and if you have to die so that I can live, then you will die because human nature is human nature. Not, there's no ethnic group around human nature before God. And the seeds of what happened at Auschwitz, I don't think were planted five years before. I think they were planted long before. And I think one of the disturbing things in our culture is there are seeds growing in our culture that could easily end up there. If you take the numbers for Auschwitz, 1,100,000, and to, to keep us humble, not to accuse us, if we could bring the last two years of people who had been aborted in North America and put faces on the wall, we would be silent. There's a silent holocaust going on of which we tend to give approval. And I'm only raising that because I'm really sensitive to going, oh, but look what they did. And I go, look what I'm capable of. And so when Jesus says you need a shepherd. He's not joking. Because the, she the sheep don't know when they're getting lost. They're chasing after something that's fulfilling to them and so they go, they'll go into a thorn bush and they'll eat some food and then they can't get out of the thorn bush. They're caught there. And the shepherd has to rescue them. We don't know at the beginning of our decline where it's leading. And then we get, we get numb. And I felt the Lord saying, you get like this when you start seeing people as not part of your family. All human beings are my family. And we get numb when we start actually excluding some people, judging some people, pushing some people away, harboring attitudes of I wish they were dead. And I guarantee everyone in this room has some relationship where that might be something that is unspokenly said. And God, the good shepherd, says, I want you to stop it. I have come after you as a good shepherd. I have chased after you and I will continue all your life. So Auschwitz is a lesson to learn from. It's a terrible lesson to learn from. But then, you know, in Bosnia, talking to a friend, they gave the children chocolates and they took the men off and they killed them. That's 25 years ago. The massacre 
in Rwanda was not a it, wa it wasn't a, an organized thing. It was one by one people were just killed because it was a racial thing of you're not my tribe. And I just think that sometimes we minimize how deeply impregnated with sin we are and how God is wanting to redeem us and continue to make us whole. And just because I say I'm a Christian doesn't mean I'm fully redeemed. I am when I'm in heaven, but on earth there's a lot of work still to do. And people are looking for a transformed people who don't behave like others. We are intimidated. There are all kinds of political correct things we're not allowed to speak about. Or we can. You know what the most obvious one is. One is abortion. The other is the gay pride issue. If you dare raise your voice on that one, instead of a culture where we can agree to disagree, where there is freedom to be, be, be who, who you think you are, whether I agree with you or not, we end up beating each other up. We need a shepherd. Here's something about how a shepherd works. What happened to that? Uh, that's all right. Just click on the uh, blue button at the top here. I just want the shepherd's life, if you can click on it, please. This is a guy called uh, James Rebanks from a book called The Shepherd's Life. Hefting is how a sheep gets uh, kind of very familiar with the, the land where they raised. So they call them hefted sheep. In other words, they've been there for many hundreds of years. So Shepherd's Life, it's a, it's a book, book worth reading. Uh, the shepherd is so involved and he has these sheepdogs that work with him as well. Obviously, we, we know what that looks like. So what are God's sheepdogs? There could be people in your life. There could be circumstances. There could be all kinds of things. But the one thing that happens with sheep and where this thing is really irritating for some of us is that when a sheep is on its own, and this is my pet uh, little platform, when a sheep is on its own, God calls it lost. And whenever the shepherd actually finds a sheep, he brings them back to the flock. There is no, I am the shepherd of one sheep. I am the shepherd of sheep and my sheep need one another and walk with one another and maybe need to get hefted which means bonded together. You see, in our day and age, we have sheep who says, I don't feel like going there and I don't like that sheep. And I'm not going to go with that sheep. And I, Could we have a vote on where you're leading us right now, please? And when we talk about being submissive and we talk about saying, Jesus, you're Lord, but we question everything. And it's going to be on my terms. And we don't know when we're going to need the shepherd more than we realize. Another thing that happened that was not pleasant at all was that I, when I had to change my plans, I, I um, visited my sister in Oxford and I ended up um, booking a hotel in Oxford and I, th and I thought, oh, they, they've got a renovated hotel. It used to be the Oxford prison and it's been a prison for 250 years and they've done a beautiful job of renovating this and every cell is a beautiful room. And uh, so I went in there on the Sunday evening and uh, my room was lovely. It, you, you go in and then you go through this. You know, you see these pictures of prisons where they've got these metal ladders and the whole, um, all the prisoners shouting from the sides. Well, that's all part of the hotel and that's all refurbished and, and people can stay there. But mine was through that part, through the exercise yard into what's called um, the wing for petty offenders. 
And so I went in there. And you go in and go, I went down. And my room was the last one on, on the right-hand side. And it was, it was beautiful. I went to St. Aldate's church that evening and I had supper with a guy who had, I'd met at Dallas who's, who works there as a pastor called Simon Ponsonby. And then I walked home to the hotel and I went to sleep. And three o'clock that morning, I woke up with the most terrifying sense of claustrophobia, sense of panic, sense of I've got to fly to Cape Town tomorrow in a plane 30,000 feet up. I'm not going. It was the most oppressive feeling I have felt, I think, in my life. And I was going, I've got to get out of this building. I can't stay here. Uh, And then I began to realize you're in a prison that people have been feeling this way for 200 years. And I went, oh, shoot. I needed a shepherd. Because your heart can tell you things and your head can tell you things. But it took me three days to work that out. The terror, the, the sense of being trapped. And I had to talk myself out of my tree and sort of pray and speak in tongues and it was incredibly difficult. And then the next night back in Cape Town, I was staying in an apartment and same thing. I woke up again and it was a little less, but I still had to get up and pace the apartment and going, I, I need to get out of here. And it took three days for that to actually just diminish till it was nothing. What I'm saying is I wandered in innocently to a stronghold of spiritual stuff. And I go, how do we know that half the stuff we wrestle with are not strongholds of stuff? And we need a shepherd to help us. You see, we're pretty cocky. We think, oh, we can just declare it and do it. Good luck. What does it say here? The shepherd fights the battles. One of the things we need to stop doing is fighting the battles he's already going to fight and he's won. So that's why we talk about abiding with Jesus. You stay close to the shepherd and he looks after the darkness. You stay close with one another and he gives you victory. And so how is it being a sheep right now for you is the question of the day. What kind of a sheep are you? Are you highly opinionated? Are you one where the dog has to continually be chasing you because you can insist on doing your own thing and then you say, Jesus, bless me. And he says, I'm trying to. And I sing the songs and I say I surrender. And he says, but I can't get the dog to bring you in. There's circumstances all the time. You think there's Satan and it's me. I'm actually trying to get your attention. You're compromising on so many things in our culture that you're numb. We're compromised now about We don't speak about sex before marriage. We don't speak about sexual identity. We don't speak about what God's doing in our lives. We just say it's just personal. And we're becoming more and more lost. I'm not talking judgment here. It's got nothing to do with judgment or accusation. Because I'm speaking to us. I'm not speaking to somebody else out there. I'm talking about how I get numbed how I get attuned, how I give up and say, I don't know what to do. I'm not talking about hating people either. I'm just talking about what does the shepherd think? What's his opinion? Where's he leading? Aren't you glad I came back so quickly? What does he say here? And uh, You see, it's against this backdrop. I just wanted to give some kind of real examples of stuff. Um, obviously, Auschwitz is, a, is an extreme case the hotel thing is not so extreme, really. 
because I think there's all kinds of levels of stuff that can trap us and get us caught unwittingly and unaware. And I wrote to, the, to Simon, actually, and I said, you know, I stayed at that hotel, and he said, well, I didn't want to say anything, but I wouldn't have stayed there. And I said, I didn't even, it didn't even enter my head. And then he said, and by the way, three o'clock is the witching hour. You know what the witching hour is? I do now. The Catholic Church used to have prayer, prayers throughout the day. The only time that was never covered was between three and four in the morning. And it's meant to be, it's from 12 o'clock, but three to four is meant to be the most heightened demonic activity. So you might be aware that you might wake up in the night at three or four and be struggling. I'm not trying to say that everything's demonic. I'm merely just saying be aware. All I know is that, you know, I'm not a young Christian and I'm not totally naive, but I was blown away by the terror that I experienced and the, and the kind of fear of, the spiritual fear. So the best way to deal with that is to keep close to the shepherd. Sometimes I think we're talking a lot about the presence of God. Well, the shepherd is always present with his sheep. The fact that I'm not aware of his presence doesn't mean he's not present. God is present. So what we want to do is to learn to live in confidence in that presence. That's what our worship helps us do. That's what our teaching helps us do. That's what reading the scriptures helps us do. So that we actually live out of the presence of the living God. So we can say, um, in his presence I have no fear of darkness or evil because his presence casts it out. I don't have to actually go too much about speaking against the demonic because the presence of Jesus casts it out. So I want to encourage us this morning to actually just be reminded about the shepherd. Be reminded of who we are as sheep. That the shepherd is, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. So, if I'm saying I lack something, I'm going, so where am I with the shepherd? David was saying, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You are strong enough for everything that I will ever experience. Now there was a Catholic, I think he was a Catholic uh, priest in Auschwitz. You've probably heard the story where I went to the cell where he died and somebody said he, th- th- there were 10 people were rounded up to be killed or shot and they shot a lot of people in Auschwitz as well. And he uh, said, what about my child? And the priest said, I don't have a child, I'll take his place. And so they did swap him out and the guy did live. And he told the story later. And uh, this priest uh, was put in a starvation, a starvation uh, cell and basically starved to death and gave his life for this prisoner who ultimately was set free. Why I'm saying that is um, these words were true for him. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I actually can die and I can be comforted. It's not about necessarily avoiding traumatic things. It's not about necessarily not being dead. It's about facing everything 
with a confidence that He is with me. Because if we live life in total fear of our circumstances, we will always be in fear. There's so much we can't control. So I have to learn how to know His presence in the midst of whatever life has for me. The Jews were God's chosen people. The Jews were very, very close to his heart and look what happened to them. Because he didn't love them? No. Because this is a world in which Jesus came to take the cross, to take the sins of the world upon himself. It is a very violent place. It's a very, very corrupt place. It is a very dangerous place. And God is calling a people who know his presence, know his love and know his power to bear witness to another way of living no matter what happens around them. Sure, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What does God do? What does the shepherd do? He provides, he guides, he protects, he prepares a table and his goodness and mercy follow. Jesus also says, my sheep hear my voice, abide in my presence. We're going to sing a song and, and it's going to be a quieter song this time. It's going to be a time for just allowing God to minister to us. You know, as the shepherd, as the good shepherd. Where are there, are there relationships that need to be addressed? Are we shutting people out or are we calling them names? Like, not Auschwitz, but stepping stones to that? Are we selective? And in terms of family, how big is our family? Do we only have time for our blood relatives or because Jesus lives in us do we realize that the whole world is our blood relative? Do we need to expand our vision of family? That nobody who we meet is not my brother or my sister, potentially. That nobody we come across, nobody we hear about, nobody in this world is anything other than a brother or sister in Jesus. They might not have met him yet, but that's his heart for them. Because in me, I can, I can just categorize people. I grew up in a country of apartheid where blacks were blacks. You didn't meet them, you didn't care. In Canada, it's Native Indians, or it could be some other group. It's easy to take a group of people and actually then just slay them by your prejudice without any knowledge of them. And I believe under the Spirit of God, he would say to his people, and that is us here today, stop it. Enough. I don't have any agenda by what I'm saying, by the way. It's just some of the things that I've been reflecting on and thinking about and, and challenged by. God, I don't want to be prejudiced. I don't want to brush people aside. I don't want to be a sheep that's wandering off. I need a shepherd and I need other sheep around me to help me. What's God saying to you about your life with him and those around you? Let's stand and let's just uh, ask him to, to minister to us. A shepherd who has come to us. So will you continue to speak to us? Will you continue to just pour out your spirit Some of you know the song. I, I wrote it when I was in a very tough time and I had gone away from the shepherd for a long time and I'd fought him 
and eventually I remember standing in my room and, and writing the words that you should be my father and I should be your child and I just cried for two weeks because I felt found 